first mini-series of Three Years with Jesus called Stories Jesus Told. So this is the last week of Stories Jesus Told. And uh, we've been looking at different parables, different stories that Jesus told uh, to uh, people who were around him at the time in the first century in Israel. And today we're looking at a parable called the parable of the lost sheep. And it's told twice in the Gospels, uh, once in Matthew 18 and once in Luke 15. And I kind of want to look at the context of both of those because the context is a little different. Uh, but go, Jesus goes in the same direction when he tells these parables. Um, also, I forgot to tell you. Can you put up that Mark Scandrett slide? Uh, my friend Mark Scandrett's coming November 12th. He's going to uh, speak here at 10 a.m., and we had previously announced that he was going to uh, do an afternoon session uh, starting at 2. And I uh, had a video conference with him last week, and he said, people fall asleep at 2. Uh, can we do it after the service and just bring your own lunch kind of thing? And I said, yeah, let's do that. So uh, 12 noon, right after the service on November 12th, we'll gather up, uh, bring a lunch, or if you want to rush out to the farmer's market to a food truck and grab something and come back, uh, we're going to start with the afternoon session at uh, noon, and we'll do lunch together, and he'll, uh, he'll have lots of amazing things to say, I'm sure, so mark your calendars for that. Um, we're going to start... I want to start with, so last week, in, we looked at Luke 18, and we looked at this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. These two guys, they go to the temple and pray, and the Pharisee says, hey, God, thank you so much I'm not like this person, that person, or this tax collector. And the tax collector says, uh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus ends that parable by saying, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified or righteous before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So, uh, um, Nancy Moss, are you here? There's Nancy Moss. So, sorry, I'm calling you out. But uh, John Martin shared with me something that your faith community met Tuesday night, and you were talking about this parable, and John Martin said, yeah, Nancy Moss had this great image. She said, uh, yeah, talking about how righteous you are is like saying, uh, and tell me if I get this right, it's like saying, uh, look, I, I jumped closer to the moon than you did. Uh, like that distant, like you can't even tell. And so I love that image. Isn't that a great image? I jumped closer to the moon than you did. Um, and so what Jesus is getting at in this parable is something he, he has been trying to teach and model his entire ministry. And it's this great reversal where the world says, get more money, get more power, have a greater position. Jesus says it's actually those who humble themselves. Who will be exalted. Jesus models this God in the flesh, leaving the divine glory of the heavens and coming among us as a human being. And Jesus comes to teach us a better way to be in the world, a different way of living in the world that isn't about getting ahead, isn't about gaining more power, more money, more position. It's about giving yourself away for the sake 
of the world. He says those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then he uses an example. He says uh, people were bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. It is a very similar scene we see in Matthew 18 before the telling of the parable of the lost sheep. Matthew 18 begins, verse 1, at that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom? See, for some reason these disciples weren't getting this message that Jesus had been trying to communicate. In fact, there are portions of the Gospels that tell us that the disciples argue with each other over who's the greatest. I'm going to be the greatest. I'm going to sit on Jesus' right in Jesus' kingdom. As soon as Jesus pulls out his sword and drives Rome out, man, we are going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus is like, no, no, you're not getting it. That is not what I came to do, and that's not what the greatest looks like. So they come to Jesus and say, so who is the greatest? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So again, Jesus uses the example of children, lowly. In the first century, uh, children weren't actually considered uh, citizens. They, they were just kind of a nuisance in the way until they became of age and were able to help with the family business or on the farm or whatever. And so uh, Jesus is saying, listen, unless you take a lowly position, unless you become like these children, you don't even begin to understand this kingdom movement I've come to move in place. It's looking like children. It's, it's taking the lowly position. It's uh, the greatest will be the least, and the least will be the greatest. Those who humble themselves will be exalted, and those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Jesus is turning everything on its head, everything that we're taught in our world about what it looks like to be the greatest, Jesus says, in, in my kingdom, it looks completely different. It's an upside-down kingdom. And then he, in Matthew 18, launches into this parable a few verses later. He says, verse 12, what do you think? I, I just love that, that Jesus, Jesus asks really good questions. And he starts this parable with, what do you think? He's inviting us to reflect. He's inviting us to use our minds to think, not just saying, here's how it is. And this is part of why Jesus tells stories. Rather than just give teachings, which he does as well, but he tells stories because stories resonate. Stories get after the heart, and stories open up new windows and new ideas in our imaginations. He says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep, and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones 
should perish. He's not willing that any should perish. Um, Three weeks ago, uh, we looked at the parable of the lost coin, a somewhat similar parable, and I I asked you all if you had ever lost something, uh, something important to you, um, and what that felt like to find it. Um, So here's confession time. I lost my son once. Uh, We were at Six Flags, not this past summer, but the summer before, so a little over a year ago, and uh, my wife Jenna went on a roller coaster that only our oldest could go on. So I was with three young children. And our youngest, who was two and a half at the time, had to go to the bathroom. And so I said, okay, stick together. Stick together. Stay by me. Let's go. And we go to find the nearest bathroom. We're walking, walking, walking. And then there's the bathroom. I'm like, there's the bathroom. And I go, and I have the two girls and not my son. And I have no idea at what point I lost him. But he's gone. And I have no idea where he is. I'm feeling like a great parent (laughs) at this moment. It's just a fantastic moment for me. Uh, And I'm freaking out. And so we retrace our steps and go all the way back to where we were looking. And by the time we get all the way back to where we were, I realize... I bet where I lost him is when I turned right to the bathroom, he probably kept going straight and didn't see me turn. And so now who knows where he is? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Uh, I might be a bad dad for losing my son, but I'm not a stupid dad. I put my cell phone number in his pocket uh, before we went to Six Flags. And I am waiting. I'm holding my phone waiting, and it rings. And I don't recognize the number, but I know who it is. It's someone who's found my son. And I answer, hello, this is Matt Crick. Do you have my son? (laughs) And she says, yes, I do. (laughs) Woo! Uh, I was so relieved and so happy. Uh, It just gives you a little window, a little picture of how God feels when we, who he loves so dearly, with a father's heart, with a mother's heart, uh, when we turn to him and allow him to find us, uh, it brings delight. It brings God joy. Uh, This is the story Jesus tells. Uh, In Luke, the Luke version, the context is slightly different. In the Luke version, uh, the parable starts with the people that are around Jesus. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners, Luke 15, verse 1, were all gathering around to hear Jesus. These are the type of people that were attracted to Jesus. Uh, the type of people who weren't invited into religious contexts, the type of people who uh, you wouldn't find in the synagogue, but they're hanging out with Jesus because there's something about Jesus that's attractive to them. And so they're hanging out with Jesus. Verse 2, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They were separatists. Uh, They were legalists. 
and they made sure that they knew the people that were in and the people who were out, the people who belonged and the people that don't belong. And the people Jesus hung out with were the people who didn't belong in their circles. And so they're looking down on these people and they're looking down on Jesus for hanging out with them. So Jesus tells the story of the parable of the lost sheep. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents than the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent, which just doesn't exist. There, there, there's no one who doesn't need to turn towards God. But Jesus is trying to make a point for them to see. Listen, I have an audience with people you don't because you've pushed them out. You've said they don't belong. You've said they're on the outside and you want them to stay on the outside. Uh, this was not a new problem in Jesus' day. This had been going on for centuries. In Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel was a, a prophet of God. God would speak to Ezekiel, and Ezekiel would speak to the people. Uh, prophets were people who spoke truth to power. And Ezekiel, God speaks to Ezekiel, and then Ezekiel speaks these words to those who were in power. Uh, the, the religious people of Ezekiel's day and the religious people of Jesus' day not only had religious power and control, but they had political power and control. And Ezekiel speaks these words from God to those in power. He says, The word of the Lord came to me, to Ezekiel, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. And so God calls them shepherds because they've been, they've been entrusted politically, religiously, to care for the people. And God says to Ezekiel, I want you to speak these words to those who have been entrusted with power because they're abusing their power. Rather than using their power for those on the underside of power, rather than using their power for good, they're abusing their power. And God says, speak these words and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you, shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. And so these are people who have been given a position of power, and they're using it to their own advantage. They're feeding themselves, they're clothing themselves, they're living large, all while people around them are going hungry, going unclothed, and God says, speak these words against those who have been entrusted with power and are abusing their power. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. Uh, when Jesus tells this story about the lost sheep and the Pharisees are there hearing it, you better believe that they're thinking of Ezekiel 34. 
because Jesus is invoking Ezekiel 34 when he tells this story. And the Pharisees knew the Old Testament scriptures in and out. And when Jesus is telling this story about a lost sheep, they're immediately thinking, oh, Ezekiel's words. What God said to the shepherds in his day, in Ezekiel's day, Jesus is saying to the shepherds of Israel in his day. They were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. So then down to verse 11, God says, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. Uh, And ultimately, this prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus' coming. And Jesus says in, in John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. I call my sheep by name. They hear my voice and they follow me. Uh, Jesus enters into the scene as the great good shepherd to rescue his flock. And he says to these Pharisees, listen, listen, you you think you're just and righteous. Why should I hang out with you then? You don't need me. In fact, he says elsewhere, uh, those who are healthy don't need a doctor. Uh, So if you think you're healthy, if you think you have no need of the Messiah, if you think you have no need of God because you got it all together, then why would I hang out with you? Why wouldn't I hang out with those who recognize their deep need for me? Here's the thing, friends. Uh, We're all the lost sheep in desperate need of the shepherd who can heal and restore us. And we're not only the lost sheep, but we're also entrusted to care for other lost sheep. I know it sounds paradoxical, doesn't it? That we're both the lost sheep and entrusted to care for other lost sheep. When we've been given any ounce of power, we're entrusted with that power to use it for good, to use it for those who are lost, to use it for those on the underside of power. Uh, Jesus came to show us a better way of being human. Jesus came to show us a better way of being in the world, and he invites us to live in such a way where we recognize our deep, desperate need for him, And we recognize that he has entrusted us to care for others in his name as well. Uh, And it brings joy. This parable, both in Matthew and in Luke, and with joy. Uh, Luke uses the word repentance. I want to to show a slide that I showed three weeks ago uh, because a number of you talked to me about it, it and it seemed to really resonate because uh, we talked about how repentance has kind of become a dirty word in our culture, that we don't, we don't like the word repentance. It just doesn't sound good. But 
if we understand it properly from Jesus' perspective, it's a really beautiful word because it simply means we were walking one way and we recognize this is not who I was created to be and we turn towards God. We turn towards light, love, forgiveness, grace, and we start walking this way, becoming more and more who God created us to be. And so, if I can have the next slide, uh, we looked at this, uh, do you live by merit or mercy? By transaction or transformation? By guilt or grace? By judgment or joy? Because all the words on the left were the words, ultimately, that the Pharisees lived by. And it would be kind of how they define repentance. But Jesus, Jesus lived by mercy, transformation, grace, and joy. And that's how Jesus defines repentance. When we turn towards him and recognize we were created for so much more, it is mercy, it's transformation, it's grace, it's joy. But, but here's the thing. Uh, Jesus forgives and rescues before repentance ever even happens. That's the mystery of it. That Jesus rescues us forgives us before repentance even happens. He, we don't have to repent for Jesus' love to be present there. Think about the Exodus. God, this is, this is the example that we were given before the example of Jesus. God rescues his people out of slavery before they do a single thing to please him. The law is given to them after they are rescued. Jesus is on the search for us always, even before repentance. Notice Romans chapter 5. Uh, God's demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He, Jesus didn't wait for us to change, to forgive us. Jesus didn't wait for us to repent to die on the cross for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, I love this quote from Robert Farrar Capon. He says, we must recognize that our whole life is finally and forever out of our hands, and if we ever live again, our life will be entirely the gift of some gracious other. And then he says, he, Jesus finds us in the desert of death, not in the garden of improvement. And in the power of Jesus' resurrection, he puts us on his shoulders rejoicing and brings us home. Uh, Jesus' love for us is the same whether we repent or not. That's the beauty and mystery of it. Jesus says, listen, I created you for so much more. I want you to repent and live the joy-filled life. But his love for us isn't conditioned on that. As I've uh, reflected on this text this week and reflected on this national tragedy of the Las Vegas shooting, uh, I couldn't help but think... Uh, 
think through some it, process the the shooting through the lens of the story and um, as uh, as we grieve the loss of life, what seems so meaningless uh, that a, a deeply broken and disturbed human being could do what he did um, and how heinous and evil it was. And yet humanity rises from the ashes, don't we? Uh, when I started reading the stories of heroes in Las Vegas, uh, an ex-Marine stole a pickup truck to transport people to the hospital. Uh, he did not ask them before they got in the truck if they were good people. He didn't ask them uh, for their resume. He didn't ask them, uh, are you going to live a better life if I take you to the hospital? He put them in the pickup truck and he took them to the hospital. Uh, there was an 18-year-old girl who was running with her best friend trying to get out of there, and she got shot in the leg, and she fell to the ground, and she couldn't move. And a stranger who she still doesn't know who he is picked her up, put a tourniquet on her leg, picked her up, threw her over his shoulder, and ran her to a street, found a taxi, put her in the taxi, and told the taxi driver to take her to the hospital. He did not ask her, are you going to repent of your sins if I save your life right now? He didn't ask her that. There was a shooting happening, and he saved her life. And there's countless stories like this of people. Humanity rose to the occasion. And in the midst of tragedy, there is, there is hope for a better world. And in our brokenness, in, in our own deep, messed upness, Jesus comes to us. And he doesn't say, if I die on the cross, are you going to be a better person? He says, I'm rescuing you just the way you are. And I've created you for so much more. But I will not force you into it. I will pick you up and put you on my shoulders and carry you and invite you into a better way of living. Uh, Jesus rescues all of us. He rescues the lost sheep. He searches for us. He finds us and he invites us into a better way of being human, into a better way of living. And when we, in a few moments, come and we take this bread and dip it in the cup, we remember that Jesus came to rescue us. While we were still sinners, while we were still broken, while we were still messed up, Jesus came to rescue us. And he died on the cross and he conquered death and rose again, and he showed us a better way of being human, the way of love and light and grace and abundance and joy, not death and destruction and hatred, but the way of hope and the way of healing. Uh, this morning, as you come and partake,
think the invitation from Jesus this morning is to simply recognize how desperately we need him. And that he is always fully present to us at every moment of every day. God, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you that you came to rescue us, that you are the great shepherd, the good shepherd. God, help us to hear your voice, calling our name, leading us onward, pointing us forward into this kingdom life you've invited us into. God, we want to be the people you created us to be, to live more fully alive than ever before. It's in the name of Jesus. Everyone said.